fascinating people, insightful stories, an hour of enlightenment. This is Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. The focus of much of our attention in society and culture continues to put the spotlight on bad boys. We embrace and revile them all at the same time, from criminal behavior to the glorification of acting out in movies and TVs. You know, the boys will be boys is still that easy way we just brush broad strokes across all boys and what it means to be a boy. Why are we stuck with this two-dimensional image and, and not talking about the complex reality of boys' lives today? Well, we're welcoming Dr. Adam Cox to the uh, program here on Conversations. Thank you so much for being here today. It's great to be with you, Charlie. The book is Cracking the Boy Code, How to Understand and Talk with Boys. Dr. Cox is a clinical psychologist. His work has included thousands of hours interviewing children in schools in the United States and all around the world in the UK, Canada, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, and Singapore. Dr. Cox has also authored On Purpose Before 20, Boys, A Few Words, and No Mind Left Behind. Check out his website, dradamcox.com. That's C-O-X. Well, you've been working with boys, as I said, for a really long time, most of your 20 years as a psychologist. So talk about how you came to work with them as a primary part of your practice and how all those years and thousands of hours of therapy have really given you some insight into what you call the universal psychological needs of boys and why you think it's really important to understand them. Well, I certainly didn't set out <clears throat> to spend my career working with boys. It happened to me uh, a little bit by accident, Charlie. In the, in the midst of my training to become a psychologist, I, uh, I took the only job that I could find at that time in the, in the uh, eastern hills of Pennsylvania, and they was working with um, high school and middle school age boys and uh, some public schools that were located in very rural areas, the kind of schools that officially closed for the first day of deer hunting season, so the whole family could go out hunting and so forth. And I was there working with boys who had the kinds of problems that you described in the opening, all kinds of behavior problems, problems acting out, problems with self-control. And of course, I would be sitting with these boys in the guidance office of these schools, which are often painted in pastel colors like Easter eggs, and I would, you know, they'd be often dressed in their camouflage. They'd been out hunting, uh, you know, earlier in the morning before school, with their muddy boots, and I'm asking them to open up and share their feelings with me, and you can imagine the way that they kind of look back at me. And blank so, stares. <laughs> blank stares, and absolutely not knowing what to say, and me not knowing how to respond to that, and as I drove back to my apartment in the evening, I would always be thinking to myself, if somebody could figure out a way of connecting with these kids, they could build an entire career around that work. And, and the second thought I had is, please, God, don't let it be me, because it seemed too hard. These kids did not seem like the kinds of kids that, you know, were easy to work with in psychotherapy, but that's just the way things went for me, is that, you know, one thing led to another. There seemed to be a lot of these types of kids in my community, and as I opened my practice, more and more families brought their sons to me, more and more schools referred kids to me that were having problems with self-control, and so 25 years later, that is how I've spent my career. Well, the universe knocked and, and you answered, so talk about those, some of those universal psychological needs that you identified. 
Well, one of the first things that you notice is that, you know, there's as much emotional complexity in boys as there is in girls, but there's an obstruction in being able to bring all of that complexity to the surface, because the way that we do that, of course, is through language. And what I noticed early on in my work is that those boys who are capable of uh, coping and processing their feelings uh, with words and language did a much better job of regulating themselves, did a much better job of problem solving different situations in life as they came up than did those kids who only knew how to react physically or who just held it all in. And what we see now, you know, from research uh, some years later is that those problems are associated with all kinds of long-term health issues. And so it is extremely important to help kids early on learn how to put their emotional complexity into words. Well, Dr. Cox, you write in Cracking the Boy Code that there is so much more to the psychology of boys than these behavioral problems, which seems sort of obvious when you when you say it out loud, you know. And yet that's the box that we often stick boys in and then just easily dismiss and explain away anything that they do or say. And it's just we always come back to that. Boys will be boys. Yeah, and the same kinds of problems as well, Charlie. For example, we stress about video games, we stress about bullying, we stress about uh, disinterest in school, we, st- we stress about online uh, access to inappropriate content. Of course, we're worried about those things, but in all of our worry and obsession about those things, we have missed the psychology of boys, including the real key issues that might be an antidote to some of those problems. And so, you know, that's one reason that I wrote the book. I mean, in part, I want to help parents. I want to help schools connect with boys. But I also wrote the book to advocate for boys and their psychological complexity because there's so much more to know about boys than just their problems. It is a total disservice to boys to be identifying them and describing them only in terms of their behavioral challenges. Well, Dr. Cox, talk about the therapy group that you actually put together of 9- to 12-year-old boys and the challenges that you faced in getting through and understanding what those boys were actually going through. And you had, and you had an epiphany that made all the difference. I certainly did. I was, you know, trying to to run social skills groups with kids, and I thought that it would go pretty easily, but what I found was just the opposite. I found that kids felt like they were an identified problem when they were included in the group. I felt that, I found that when they came to the group, they would often have their arms crossed, they'd be looking at the floor, and they would just have to force themselves to participate. And I got so discouraged about their response to my sincere effort that I almost gave up doing the group, Charlie. I, I, I almost thought, well, if they really don't want to do this, then why should I be pushing it so hard? And one weekend, back in the days when TNT showed the same movie, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I'm lying on myself at home, and I'm watching a movie, and it's Gladiator with Russell Crowe. And on comes Russell Crowe in the character of Maximus in the opening scene of the film, and he has to rally his troops into battle. He sees that they're edgy, they're anxious, that they need to focus and galvanize themselves. And so he uses this credo strength and honor. And so when I heard it, I recognized that was very powerful, that that was, at least as the, as the film portrays it, a way for these men to kind of galvanize their strength, to focus themselves on the task at hand. And I tried it the very next week with the kids in my group. I extended a fist, and I taught them to extend their fist to meet mine, and we said strength and honor to each other. And I found that as I did this with kids, it changed the way that they felt about themselves and the way that they felt about participating in the group and as a result, their energy and participation was so much greater. And some years later, 
working as a consultant in Australia and talking about this, this particular story, I learned that Russell Crowe had made up that creed on the day that they shot that scene uh, of the movie Gladiator. Ridley Scott was the director. And that he thought of it because that was the motto at the Sydney Boys High School that he had attended in Australia. So it just kind of comes full circle. And that concept, and especially the concept of honor, very powerful in working with young men. Well, what do you think it is about that strength and honor statement and sort of feeling that breaks through that wall and allows you to actually connect with these boys, regardless of the setting, the size of the group, or where you are in the world talking to the boys? You say this, this really works pretty much everywhere, Dr. Cox. It absolutely does. And the, 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 the kind of take home here is, is that it makes boys feel more like they want to feel about themselves. And I, I discuss in my book that it's so important for boys to connect with their ideal selves. And embedded in that uh, concept of strength and honor is a sense of that ideal self. And I have found that to be a universal with boys. Now, I have defined that further for boys, uh, sometimes you know, in very large groups, as you know, the strength to do what's right the honor to do it well. So I try to not necessarily make that a militaristic concept. Uh, For some boys, it really does resonate well that way. But I define it as the strength to do what's right and the honor to do it well. And so that has broad application in boys' lives. So many times when a boy comes into therapy or even when you sit him down at the kitchen table at home and he's in trouble, what he's thinking is, okay, what have I done wrong now? And we have to watch out because that becomes the mindset of boys from one day to the next. And no wonder they are avoiding conversation with us because they're thinking that, well, every time we have a conversation, it's about what I've done wrong and, you know, I'm in trouble. So naturally they avoid that. We have to get in the habit of having conversations that, in a sense, promote boys to a higher level of responsibility, of accountability, and we do that by conveying a degree of seriousness and respect in the way that we communicate. You're listening to iHub Radio. This is Conversations with Charlie Dyer. Dr. Adam Cox is our guest. Cracking the Boy Code, How to Understand and Talk with Boys is the book. His website, dradamcox.com, and his last name is spelled C-O-X. Well, you write in Cracking the Boy Code that basic communication, like, you know, what's for dinner, isn't really the issue here with boys, but it's social communication that poses a real challenge. So why is that? Is it because we expect that kind of communication from girls and just haven't really expected it from boys so they don't develop those skills early enough in life? Or is there just something inherently different about the ways that boys communicate? I think it's a little bit of both. I do think that we socialize boys differently and we have different expectations of boys than we do of girls. And we also see that boys process language a little bit differently than girls do. For example, they're doing a lot of their processing over on the left side of their brain, and it's over on the right side where we have all of our social perceptual skills. So, for example, if somebody says to you, my dog died last week, the left side of your brain hears, you had a dog, this dog died, this event happened last week. 
just the facts, ma'am. But it's the right side of your brain that notices the face of the person that just said that, notices their eyes, notices the tone and the pitch of their voice, and all of those important nonverbal cues give you a more complete understanding of what was just said to you. Well, we're raising a whole generation of boys who really struggle to turn on that right hemisphere. So that's one of the reasons why it is important to work on these skills earlier in life, because just like learning another language is easier when you're younger, learning these social perceptual skills and how to detect these nonverbal cues, much easier for younger boys than it is for kids when they reach 16, 17, or 18. Well, with all the distractions and pressures of our modern world, it can be really hard to get through to boys as their attention is focused on so many other things like friends, the phone, the tablet, the computer, the TV, or they're just not listening to you at all. So you've talked a little bit about some of the brain differences of boys. We'll talk about some of the strategies to get around those obstacles like selective hearing, poor listening skills, and just those myriad distractions. Right. And so one of the most important strategies, one of the, my book is divided into two parts. The first half of the book is all about the technical strategies for setting the table for great conversations. And I emphasize two things in particular, vocal tone, which is the single most important signal that adults send to kids with respect to, you know, what's my disposition? What's my attitude? What am I feeling right now? And eye contact. The second half of the book is all about the big themes that affect boys' life. But in terms of that vocal tone, what I strongly advocate is something called task tone. And that means that you're taking some of the emotion out of your voice. You're speaking in a more matter-of-fact, somewhat directive way. You're not talking like a drill sergeant. I'm not talking about being authoritarian and trying to overpower kids, but I'm talking about using a tone, using a pitch and a rhythm that in some ways connects directly to that kind of side of the brain where they're doing a lot of their processing. And when we use that task tone with boys, it has a feeling of being serious and respectful, which tends to get their attention better. And it also minimizes their sense of vulnerability, so it makes it more easy for them to, you know, slow down, to open up, and actually hear what we're trying to say. Sometimes when we have too much emotion in our voice, all they hear is our anxiety, our concern, our anger, whatever it is, and they don't even hear the content. Well, you talk about the most important communication being nonverbal in cracking the boy code, Dr. Cox. Give us some examples by what you mean by that. Well, I mean, task tone is one of the key ways of using nonverbal communication because when we, when we, we use task tone, we're kind of accessing what's called the prosody of speech, the pitch, the rate, the rhythm, the cadence of our speech, those kinds of nonverbal signals are different than the words that we're actually using. So that is the, the most important form of nonverbal communication. Of course, also our faces. So if we don't overreact, if we tend to take things a little bit more stoically than we might naturally do, it's easier because sometimes one simple expression can shut down a conversation, especially if it's a disapproving expression or especially if it feels like some type of judgment. So, you know, we try to avoid those kinds of signals. And I should add along the lines of, of nonverbal communication that one of the ways that we really help ourselves, Charlie, is we avoid a context in which we have too much direct eye contact. And one of the places where we have too much direct eye contact is the kitchen table. 
We have too many heart-to-heart, serious conversations at the kitchen table where we're looking deeply into the eyes of a boy, making him feel panicked and stressed, and it's just the absolute worst place to have that kind of conversation. A much better place is, if you can, driving together somewhere in the car. Both people are looking out the windshield. There's the motion of the car that just makes it easier to process things. That's where great conversations are had. At the very least, take a walk, play a board game. In my office, I am constantly playing a game of catch as a way of distracting uh, from eye contact. It's not that eye contact isn't extremely important for children to learn. We teach children, of course, that they show respect with eye contact, that we listen with our eyes as well as our ears. But at moments of vulnerability, moments of stress or anxiety, that is not the best time to demand eye contact. Well, Dr. Cox, that leads me right into personal space. Talk about how boys develop that sense of, of space, because when you're giving somebody eye contact, you're, you're in a way you're invading that. So why is that so important to them and, and why they think we're actually invading it and their defenses go up so, so early in life? You write that by the age of eight years old, many boys will actually make their first sign and like stick it on their door like, keep out. <laughs> That's right. And and so, I mean, that is they start kind of having boundaries and wanting to, to draw lines. And I think a lot of the reason is because so often the conversations that we're having are about some type of correction. Imagine, you know, if the only time that, you know, uh, an authority figure has an interaction with you is, is when there's a correction to be made or when you might have done something wrong or something like that. And I, I am trying to advocate for conversations that are more open and less judgmental, but you're absolutely, you know, right, is that, you know, that the sense that you're invading my privacy is one of the reasons that kids uh, hold us at arm's length. They, they're often also thinking you're trying to control me. Um, because, you know, uh, everything that we say seems to be an expression of our desires, what we want, what we think is the best thing. Sometimes they think that we're just simply boring because, you know, whether we realize it or not, most of us as adults repeat ourselves all of the time. We often rely on the same fr- uh, phrases over and over again. And then sometimes when we have, you know, more complicated ideas to bring up, it really comes across as we're very confusing. So, these kinds of things are, are major hurdles that we want to get around, and we can get around them. And I have, you know, in the book, lots of suggestions for how to jumpstart great conversations with boys. Well, you have a handy list in Cracking the Boy Code of 50 purposeful work ideas. Yeah. And uh, coming from uh, a military background and military family of multi-generational military background, uh, yeah, work was very strong in, a, in our household. So how does using purposeful work actually teach boys self-respect and confidence, Dr. Cox? So, you know, and this comes from a two-year global research study, Charlie, as well as, you know, 20-plus years in the trenches with boys, the strong belief that the primary missing ingredient in their lives, the thing that really separates them from a sense of accomplishment and maturity is some type of purposeful work in their lives. And we are waiting too long. We have in the United States at this time an epidemic of anxiety and depression, especially among middle school and high school-age children. It's written about in every major newspaper 
Everyone is talking about it. 20 years ago, I might have seen a couple of kids a year need to go into the hospital. Now it seems like almost every week someone is going into the hospital. And we ask ourselves, what is the reason for this? And often we come to the same kind of culprits. We think it's video games or we think it's worry about the economy. And yet even as the economy has improved, we find that kids are still having these problems. And I think that the missing thing is some type of sense of purpose. Existential despair is the big issue, the common denominator for depression in adolescent boys. They lack a sense of purpose, a sense of direction, a sense of usefulness. They have no tangible way to make a contribution to their community. We are asking kids to do little more than sit in their chair, pay attention, and just get good grades. Of course it's important to get good grades, but we relentlessly focus on academic achievement to the exclusion of every other important uh, aspect of development in life. And I think that doing some type of purposeful work, and I mean, it certainly becomes a crisis for adolescent boys, but even for boys much younger, it is often the key to learning greater self-control, greater accountability, greater responsibility, all kinds of things that we want to see in boys. And certainly, you know, the list that you put out uh, could read something like you do in Boy Scouts or something like that. But even uh, folks who are more online oriented, you know, helping out with setting up a local website for a charity or something like that. I I think really keys into something that they might be interested in that's not pushing them in a direction of like, well, I'm not an outdoors kid. I don't want to do that Boy Scout thing. I think getting them motivated into their own uh, interests is part of the building up their self-confidence, right? Thank you for bringing up that point, because even though I am personally a strong advocate for hands-on type work, and I, I look for opportunities to kid, for kids to do more things with their hands, it is absolutely true that some kids are just wired differently, and what they would rather do is build a computer. What they would rather do is some type of technical work or even some type of office work uh, in a parent's place of business or something along those lines. So, yeah, there is no one solution that is the right solution for every child. That's why I provide 50 different kind of possibilities and and different possibilities for different age kids within the context of the book as well. So, But the important thing is, is that you are attaching yourself to something that is larger than yourself. You're committing yourself to something that is larger than just your individual needs, and you have the great satisfaction of feeling like you have made a contribution to something larger than yourself. And often along the way, you're learning something technical and specific that uh, garners respect and, um, uh, you know, approval and admiration from others. Dr. Adam Cox is our guest here on Conversations with Charlie Dyer. You're listening to iHub Radio. The book is Cracking the Boy Code, How to Understand and Talk with Boys. I love books like this, that you've got lots of little bits and bites throughout all the chapters that you can pull away and and put into practice right away. The website is dradamcox.com. C-O-X is his last name. Thank you so much for being here today. Really a pleasure to be with you, Charlie. Thank you.